Welcome to the prologue of the Honest EP podcast. Before we get into the episode, I just wanted to make an announcement that Rebound Health is looking to hire its next EP for the team. We're looking to hire in mid-May this year, so if you're interested, we're encouraging new grads and experienced EPs to apply. If you want to have a coffee and have a chat, please send a resume and a CV to archie at reboundhealth.com.au and I'll reach out and we can have a chat. Also, we're getting very professional now, so... Get ready to listen to our new intro music. Welcome to the Honest TV Podcast. We're the podcast for health professionals and the wider community. Look at explore diverse ideas in health. Ask some hard questions and have some honest conversations. My name is Archie. I'm an EP based on cities on the beaches and joining me as always is our health business owner, Andrew. Andrew, how are you today? I'm well. How are you? Yeah, yeah. We're on one. It's good. <laughs> I just noticed we both just put our phones on do not disturb while I start doing it because I always forget. And then every so often there's like a ding and I have to like, oh shit, I have to go back and edit that out later. But not today. Not today. Not this We're day. on. We're on. And Andrew, you've gone up to shops today and gotten us a beer from the wide selection that the the May Street little bottle of had. I walked in with the and to be fair, the only reason that I bought this beer was because of the pink label on it. Yeah, it looks good. Um, the young Henry's Hazy Pale Ale. Mm. Um, because it was this or like Reshes or New. There was there was not a wide selection of beers. This was the most uh, exotic oh, beer that dear. I could come across wow. uh, up the go. road. So it's still beer, and it, we'll still drink it. It's beer, and we shill we we will still drink it. Oh, jeez, that was a loud crack. Apologies, everyone. Um, hmm. Initial thoughts? Yeah, it tastes like a hazy pale ale, um, which is lovely. I've only I think I've only really had the the Young Henry's Newtowner, mm. which is their pale ale. Um, and this tastes a little bit hazier than it. It is a bit hazier than it. Yeah. I don't even know what hazy tastes like, oh. but it tastes different to the normal pale ale. And I'm all for that now. <laughs> I used to not be, but now I like it. You are, you are cultured now. Mm-hmm. There we go. Well, lucky you didn't get new because we would have opened it tried it and go well, what do you think it's like well, it tastes like new, it tastes like new. <laughs> we all know what it tastes like i'm not fooling anyone here it tastes better out of a glass than it does out of a titty absolutely it does. and it depends what you've done that day as well <laughs> where you are some days it's where great. you are in life yeah, yeah. Oh, there you go anyway we have a topic to talk about today just the two of us no guests just the two of us ah. so we thought today um we would break down value in healthcare. And what we mean by breaking down value of healthcare is like um, specifically the, the money that uh, a client will pay in Allied Health. Where does that money go? What is the breakdown? And then how does that equal uh, kind of the value of practitioners and how does that equal the value that we place in our service and whether we should be charging more, charging less, uh, accessibility for it. But we thought the easiest way to start this would be to imagine a situation where someone comes in to see, uh, take your pick of valid health, it doesn't really matter. 
and they pay a hundred bucks for whatever service you have provided for whatever amount of time you have provided. And within that business, uh, what is the breakdown of where each of those dollars go within that hundred dollars there uh, that comes in? Now, you being a business owner, you probably have a very good, or you, you're not probably, you do have a very good idea. <laughs> of, <laughs> it's like, I don't know. Well, I always count to 75 and then I don't know where the other 25 goes. <laughs> that would be bad. Yes, that would not be good. So I hope that doesn't relate to anyone out there going, I don't know where it goes. Um, there's no leakage. There's no down the side of the couch cushions or anything. Um, but uh, for you, how would you break down, generally speaking, the percentage uh, of or where each of those dollars go in a hundred dollars consult. There was very much a time where I did not know where a hundred dollars went mm. in the business. And so while we kind of laughed at that before, I mm. think it's part of a business owner's journey to kind of get a grip on where that goes. And like we'll kind of explore today that based on the type of business and how that business operates, these numbers can fluctuate a bit so we are going to kind of be using ranges here uh, because different businesses are intentionally built different ways we now do this exercise so i i share more accurately where rebound is sitting as part of our induction for mm. new team members uh, we're quite transparent with this uh, so that people can get a pretty good idea about where you know, cash flows through a business. It's kind of a, a relic from the COVID times mm. when it was like, hey, here's how $100 flows in a business. And then you, COVID happens and that goes to 50. And it's like, well, where does 50 go? And how the fuck do we fucking survive this but shit? We're still spending 70. <laughs> so can you all see how we're losing $20? Yes. yes and how fucked we are. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that 20 is coming from my bank account. Um. So, so that's where this comes from for us um, and, and we'll, we'll continue to do this because I think it just gives people a, a better idea mm. um, so that we just don't assume knowledge, that we just have a bit of, um, you know, this is, this is the way that it looks for us and uh, if you want to explore that more, then, then mm. we can, that's fine. Um, so we'll, we'll start with kind of with some, some ranges here mm. um, and, and again, these ranges are probably reflective of businesses that are kind of stabilized a little bit like they're not your your startup businesses mm. um you know you're probably talking a couple of team members or, or a few team members um where you don't get such wild swings month to month mm. in terms of you know revenue coming in mm. and, and things like that um so so you kind of you know been around for a little while mm. sort of businesses and your experience working with um business owners from different professions uh would this be reasonably uh consistent across professions reasonably reasonably enough that you can draw similarities correct I, well i guess you run a business that has multiple different professions mm. so that's reasonably mm. because while your pediatric type businesses are going to get a higher session amount mm. like a lot of those businesses are charging the ndis rate for sessions mm. um so the hourly rate is a little bit higher 
the amount of hours that people have to do is a little bit less. Mm. So it, it does kind of balance out mm. a little bit. Yeah. Okay, cool. Good to know. So the most expensive thing for a business is it's the me. people. <laughs> it's you. <laughs> Damn you. Yes. And your brains. Um, and so, yes, people are the most expensive part of a business. Probably so they should be. Uh, and so as a range, we're talking somewhere between 40 to 50%. Hmm. So 40 to $50 of that 100 that's come in is probably going back to the practitioner. Again, like based on the composition of that person's caseload, any other responsibilities they might have within the business, um, how, how many years experience that person mm. has. Um, and, you know, if they're on like a, a reward structure mm. or something like that or a commission structure, mm. uh, that's 40 to 50 is, is generally where mm. we see mm. practitioners. Not to say that it can't be uh, a couple percent higher or lower than that, depending on how the business is. Uh, but obviously, we're talking about stabilized businesses. Yeah. Correct. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So, yes, these these are not hard and fast, right? Mm. These are just general rules. Mm. So, 40 or 50% um, of that $100 goes to the practitioner. Um, but... That 40, 50% would also include, it would obviously include their wages. Mm. It would include their bonus or rewards or commission mm. if they're on something like that. It would include superannuation. It would include uh, professional development allowance. Mm. And it would okay. probably include your workers' compensation bills okay. for for the, the business. So, you know, the, the, the costs associated with... People. People mm. directly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, practitioners. Just practitioners. Directly. These people. Yeah. These people. Because your admin team is mm. a separate expense. Different people. Different people doing a different role within a business. Fucking people. Fucking people. Um, <laughs> these are your non-revenue generating people. People who aren't billing. Mm -hmm. uh, the people that are there to support the practitioner team. Um, and so we're talking around... 8 to 12% okay. kind of goes to your admin team. Okay. Now, again, like when you're starting up, mm. that 8 to 12% might look more like a virtual assistant mm. or someone coming in and helping out with the mm. books a mm. few hours a week mm. um, through to hiring a receptionist, through mm. to hiring a practice manager, mm. through to um, you know hiring other roles that are, are more... Marketing or Marketing outreach. Or outreach or things yeah. like that. Yeah. So as as businesses grow, the opportunity to kind of look at that eight to twelve percent that you spend on admin and go, okay, well what what other resources can we bring in to help support the growth mm. or, or help support the team mm. of mm. the business during Yeah, exactly. The increase in, in revenue that you kind of see. Yeah. Yeah. There. Um, so, 8 to 12% kind of goes to admin. Um, we choose to have locations. We have physical locations that oh, people can come and see us. Places. Places. 
um, which we like. Um, yeah, it's nice. But we, we choose this, right? Yeah. This is this is a, a decision that we've made. Um, and so around 10 to 15% of that $100 would go to the cost of physically having a location. Right. So rent, utilities, that kind of stuff. Rent, utilities, um, the, the f- cost to physically turn the lights on. Yeah, gotcha. At the yeah. place. Air conditioning. Okay. Imagine electricity, especially working in a place where one of the main aims of an EP is to um, put stress on the body to create more body heat, um, which then requires air conditioning to cool the people with body heat down, mm. which if there's lots of people in there, is quite <laughs> a lot of, of air conditioning. Lots of air conditioning. <laughs> Love Therefore, air conditioning. a lot of electricity, mm. which... Rates go up. Yes, they do. <laughs> oh, yes, got they hit do. With just the little home, home rent, uh, rate electricity increase. Can we just get like yeah. a fan and just like blow it on people? You can come out here and just, <laughs> <laughs> just use your hands. Yeah. Oh dear. Yeah. Um, so they're, they're our occupancy expenses. Uh, then it sort of goes like the the percentages kind of break down a little bit more from there. Uh, we've got general expenses, so um, around 5% kind of goes to general expenses. These are your computers, your equipment, your uniforms, your subscriptions, your practice mm. management softwares, your mm. clinic apps, your busy track, mm. your uh, Zoom, your, like all of the things that are required. Spotify. Fuck it. There's so many, isn't there? There is a, there is a, There's a lot. growing list. Mm. Yep. Uh, so about 5% goes to general expenses, about 5% goes to support services. Mm-hmm. So these are things that um, particularly our health businesses tend to outsource. Mm. So HR mm. is one, like whenever a new team member comes on board, that person generally needs a position description and a contract. Mm. Um, we, you know, businesses at certain stages get uh, or, or use um, HR services to do annual reviews of um, making sure that we're paying people the yeah. way that we should uh, and making sure that we're keeping up to date and compliant with all of the new legislation that comes out around mm. uh, the National Employment Standards. Um, so it's HR, it's lawyers, it's accountants and it's bookkeepers. <sighs> yes. Just the boring stuff. The boring stuff. That, that when, when you are a sole trader... Mm. Or when you're just starting out. Like you do all of these things yeah, yourself, right. right? You are um, everything. You are everything. You mm. do the reconciling. Mm. You you probably, you know, prepare or half prepare your financial statements mm. for your accountant to mm. kind of look over and make sure that they are good. Yeah. Um, but then as, as businesses become more complex, it just tends up being easier to just like... Yeah, get Make, someone else. Because, I, and this was the thing for us, like the amount of fuck-ups that I was making yeah, right. with reconciling, yeah. it would it would cost the same for mm. the, the bookkeeper to just do the whole thing mm. rather than to go and have to fix all of the mm. problems that I was making and, mm. and reconciling things to the wrong mm. account. So um, when, you, when you're just starting out, mm. you do it all, but yeah. like there becomes a point where it's just yeah. like, you know what, I'm yeah. going to let an expert... Yeah fix that for so, me. So more of those dollars would technically go to you early on if you were a sole trader, um, but in exchange for more hours of things 
to do, which maybe you're not the most efficient person at doing it. So then you get to a point where you are like, well, now it's more efficient for me to get someone else to do it and I can spend my time doing something that is I'm better at and more valuable at doing some of the other parts, I guess. Exactly right. And again, like there's there's a, a probably a degree of privilege that kind of that totally. enables, yeah. right? Um, I definitely remember the times where I would be reconciling the books on a Sunday mm. um, because that's what you do. Yeah. Um, but the decision to to get somebody else to do that was just like you said, you know. Yeah. Um, maybe maybe there comes a point where you don't have to work seven days a week. Yeah. Or or maybe there's a point where it's like you know what, I think, although I'm paying somebody else to do that me going and spending my time going and doing mm. networking or mm. uh, going to expos or whatever mm. it is or supporting the team. Or God forbid, hanging out with your family. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sorry. Um, that, that, that's a better use of my time. Mm. Yeah. Um, so that's support services. Uh, then it goes to marketing. Marketing is probably the one that kind of fluctuates yeah. the most. Um, again, like around 5% kind of goes to marketing mm. um, or $5 goes to marketing. There are some, again, more pediatric businesses or, or some established mm. um, businesses that don't have to market because mm. they've got wait lists for mm. months. An incredible word of mouth referrals and incredible network of other people. Exactly yeah. right. Yep. But it takes time to get to that. But yeah. it takes time. You've got to get the people in the door in the first place to then build those word of mouth referrals and all those networks and that kind of thing. Mm. Exactly right. And then once you built that for yourself and you decide to bring on a next practitioner, mm. Mm. it's like, well, how do we get this person busy? And mm. so like the marketing then might go from not much to mm. a little bit more mm. because we want to use some different channels to get mm. that new practitioner mm. busy. Mm. And then we can reduce it. Mm. When, when they're kind mm. of hitting their marks mm. and things like that. So it, yeah. it moves around. And sure, you could, you could just wait for your existing network and referrals to um, get them busy over time. But in the meantime, that means there's a hit to, to revenue and then there's less of the $100 coming in the door. Mm. Exactly Therefore, right. harder to pay all the other things. So then you, it's like a good outcome then. Or... Uh, a good move to up oh, a little more percentage into marketing now will help us get there faster. Yeah, exactly right. Mm. Yep. Uh, then you've got the shitty little expenses, and it's just like one percent oh. for your for your merchant fees yeah. and your bank fees because yeah. they've got to have a hand oh, in it as well, right? Motherfuckers. Mm. Um, <laughs> which leaves about twenty percent left over. Okay, and so of that twenty percent. Um, the owner would take about five mm. and you leave about 15 for profit. Hey! <laughs> profit? Profit. Wait, the business is supposed to be profitable? <laughs> What's the not point? in the first five years. Isn't this not. a non-for-profit organization <laughs> I work for? I work for free, yeah. yeah. Oh, dear. Yeah. Right. And then things like profit allows growth and... Uh, safety net. Well, yeah. So, I mean, we, we can definitely talk about profit. So profit mm. means that we can build up um, 
a bit of a, a zombie apocalypse fund mm. for the next time that COVID comes yep. around. We've got enough there to support um, paying wages for the team for a few months. And which so is, like, mm, yeah. which is, which is a, a nice place to be. It's also a very, uh, as a business owner, very like reassuring place to be. Like you've mm. got, you know, you've got, you know, whether it's two weeks or four weeks or six weeks just yeah. there. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a very reassuring place to be. Yeah. Uh, and, and the perfect, perfect example of that is around Christmas time mm. when either or mm. a lot of people go and leave and clients go away. Yeah. And to have that kind of set aside, it doesn't mean that you have the stress and anxiety of like, how the fuck am I going to pay the next payroll? Yeah. When looking at the diary, mm. everyone's away and yeah. that includes clients. Yeah. Um, so you, you've, got, you've kind of got your, your zombie apocalypse set up there. Mm. Like you mentioned before, um, you know, when you bring on the next team member and for the first somewhere between three to nine months, they are building mm. their caseload. Well, the difference between what they're generating and what you're paying them is coming out of profit. Mm. Mm. So, so if you don't have profit, it makes that decision mm. very difficult. Mm. Um, and like you said before, you know, hopefully there comes a point in time where they're able to meet the expectations that we kind of set out for them. Mm. And that means the the business is, is going yeah, to be in, a, to in a financially better position. Um, it allows us to invest in equipment mm. and clinics mm. and um, the nice things that, that come from growth. And give back. And give back. And to be able to align ourselves with organizations either locally or globally that have meaning to us and allocate either revenue or our time and our expertise uh, to be able to make a bigger impact, not just with the clients that we work with, but also with organizations that are, that are doing wonderful things in mm. our community. Mm. Nice. And that's kind of the $100 And there. that's kind of the $100. There you go. Okay. Well, that's a pretty good breakdown. So I imagine like uh, depending on the business and how many people and yada, 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 these can fluctuate um, and not just between businesses, but between the same business at different points in the year and different points in their growth cycle or stabilization cycle as well. Mm. Um, like for example, we, we brought on, you know, three new EPs at the start of last year. Um, so therefore, uh, practitioner wages probably went up quite a lot, uh, but without an immediate increase to revenue um, as those caseloads built across time. Mm -hmm. So then percentages would have changed around there, mm. I guess, and marketing budget would have changed and profit probably changed and all these things. It did, but you, you sit there and you have mm. lovely, lovely Excel spreadsheets that mm -hmm. help you predict how these things will or, or are likely to build out into mm. the future. Mm. Um, and you make you make decisions based on all of the information you can collect mm. there. So mm. for us, that decision was about understanding. Yes, there is going to be a short term uh, implication mm. on on profitability, mm. uh, but it the decision that we made fitted in with the long term plan mm. of where we want to go to, mm. um, and we we had a reasonable degree of. Uh, confidence, confidence that yeah. we were going to be able to build the caseloads of yeah. those practitioners. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Especially based on like the the people we were bringing in, we had a lot of confidence in. 
as new grads um, and then confidence in like the EP caseload and growth in general mm. that it was going to be okay. Yeah. <laughs> but hope so. <laughs> but once again, a brave decision from you that I'm glad you approved. <laughs> We got uh, to, to take everyone we want to. It's fun and games. I was very happy with. It's all fun and games. <laughs> it's all fun and games. Oh, it's just like gambling, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> it really is. <laughs> we should drink more beers and gamble more often. Yeah. Oh, dear. So I hope that breakdown was useful for people. Um, now I want to talk a little more specifically about uh, as the practitioners then. So as the, you know, the majority of people who would listen to this podcast, um, how... How does the the value of, how the value of practitioners can change within that kind of forty to fifty percent give or take a little bit um, based on things that aren't just revenue? So mm. yes, obviously, if your revenue increases by ten percent, fifteen percent, twenty percent over a course of years or whatever, um, then you know the percent of that hundred dollars becomes a percent of one hundred and twenty dollars and. And that should scale. That should scale mm-hmm. um, over time. That would make sense. Um, but that, for a lot of businesses, I know specifically for ours uh, and for a lot of other uh, established businesses as well, there are other things that affect the value of a practitioner as well that can cause movement within that percentage that they might take home based on non-direct uh, revenue kind of things. Uh, so I want to kind of lay out a couple of those things mm. as, um, that uh, that come around mm. uh, that seem to be quite common or very valuable to businesses. Yeah, absolutely. So maybe this is some stuff that you can go, oh, well, um, this is how potentially I could be more valuable to uh, someone that I work for. Um, to, to staff, we might just go one, one each and just throw them around. Um, but your personal reputation... Uh, as a practitioner and, and what that means in your community. So your personal reputation might lead to more word of mouth referrals from your existing clients or patients. And that means that you are bringing in more revenue uh, without the business needing to do outreach and marketing itself. So you're now becoming more self-sufficient in terms of uh, building your caseload which is incredibly, incredibly valuable to a business. So I know uh, we look at uh, someone's ability to generate word of mouth referrals or their own referrals by name as incredibly valuable thing because uh, it's a sign that they are doing amazing things with their clients, number one, and that their clients or the people who are referring to them are telling other people that they should also go and see this person because they're providing a really valuable service. Um, so that's one thing. Mm. <laughs> That's a good thing to measure and Absolutely. a good thing to see. Oh, how can I get more of this? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Team. Mm. So y- your value can be reflected in your contribution towards the team. Uh, even in small businesses, I think this is still very, very, very true, where you are providing resources, you are providing professional development you are providing mentoring you are using your skills to be able to empower the next generation <laughs> or the next cohort uh to to become a a, a well-rounded practitioner mm. um 
whether that is through you know direct supervision, whether that's through creating resources for the team, whether that's through running you know professional development for the team, um, whether that's through creating a, a small video series of the topic that you are particularly interested in that can be shown to future team members mm. about you know how to upskill in, in a particular area. Mm. I think you know the the value of a practitioner can be the influence that that practitioner has on the other people mm. around them mm. so that they're able to impart like the things that they do incredibly well in a way that you know the the next team members can find their own way of doing similar or getting similar outcomes yeah. for that person absolutely if they can bring their team or people in their team up to their standard and above their standard of care so that the entire clinic's standard of care is higher that's incredible that's great mm. then yeah that's it's amazing i mean consistency um of care across a team is so important right like that's what a that's what a brand it's what a business kind of relies upon is that like um whoever walks through the door is going to get the same standard of care no matter who they see uh, so if you can assist uh other people in the team to to do that Amazing. Mm. Super, super powerful. Absolutely. Next one I'll throw out there is uh, quite literally the word values. <laughs> so if you're in a business or a workplace that has um, uh, values uh, that, you know, are maybe to do with uh, creating a positive culture, whatever the culture of that business uh, or that business wants to create and you have a positive influence on that, and, and actively working within the, the business's values and uh, positively impacting that uh, within the team and within the client base, that is great because at the end of the day, it, it sounds fluffy, but a, a team culture is, I, I'm sure you have a great definition for team culture, but for me, it's like um, peop, a, gr a great work culture leads to people wanting to come to work and wanting to keep coming to work um, and also encourage new people to want to work at a place. Well, that's a very no, I think that's a definition. Okay, that's, that's a great That's a great. definition. I don't know. How, what would you add to definition of like a work culture? Perhaps my, my definition comes from my own context. So for me, culture is what happens when I'm not around. Mm, okay. So I don't need to be the person that's driving the culture. Mm. That the the values that we have are, are a reflection of our culture, and mm. they they are embodied mm. without me having to be around. Mm. Mm. To me, that's what a that's what my definition of good culture mm. is. Mm. Uh, that makes sense from from your point of view, where it's like you've created something that you want to be special. And you don't want that uh, that feeling to disappear if you're not there, continuing to push mm. that specialness the entire mm. time. Yeah. Yep. Mm. Yep. Mm. That makes a lot of sense. Good. So yeah, if you in, uh, embody the the work's values and culture and positively impact that and push it further, that actually makes a difference. Mm. Actually makes a difference. I'm gonna say. I'm going to say social media, okay. but I'm, I'm going to say it in the context of building a personal brand. Mm. 
right? Um, anybody, this is the great thing about social media, mm. is that anybody can start an account and get followers if you produce good content. Mm. Again, like we're in a fortunate position where we have somebody that does that as part of their job for us, mm. or that is their job. But for the, like, if a practitioner comes on board and they've got, I don't know, 100,000 followers mm. on Instagram, mm -hmm. there is value in that. There's value in that because obviously they're producing content that people are engaging with. Mm. But also there is a way, oh, this is going to sound really corporate. There is ah. a way to monetize that. Oh, there is a way so. to like create a call to action around mm. that content mm. so that people want to come and see that person mm. in the clinic. Mm. Um, so being good at social media is valuable. Mm. If you want to, if, if someone in, in our team sort of came up and said, I want to take over mm. the social media for, mm. for Rebound, and we looked at, at that person's social media, their personal social media, and they had like 67 followers and <laughs> did a piece of content every six months. Yeah. It's like, well, like, are you sure? Because there are people that like have worked very hard, whether mm. they've studied or not, doesn't, I don't think that matters too mm. much, but, but they've worked very hard mm. to understand trends, mm. understand like putting content out that people resonate mm. with. And so your personal social media should be a reflection of what you could bring to a company. Absolutely. I think that is very valuable. Mm. I think more, more people are, I don't know what it was 10 years ago, I feel like I'm old, but I don't think I'm that old. But in terms of social proof, right? Like mm. if, if somebody Absolutely. said, oh, Archie, like I think you should go and see an EP yeah. um, for your shoulder, mm. a lot of people are using social media to make the decision about who to go and see. Yeah. As opposed to a website, as opposed to mm. the yellow pages, as yeah. opposed to whatever, mm. like what my mum said. They're using social media. Mm -hmm. So if you have a good following and you're you're producing content regularly that's engaging for me because I'm the one with the fuck shoulder mm. and I'm like, oh, I think he can help me based on his Instagram profile, like valuable. Great. Yeah. I guess the 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 thing you're thinking of previously would have been someone who is still passionate about what they do outside of their workplace in the community. Absolutely. So maybe they're at a footy game and someone hurts himself and they go, hey, I can help. I'm this, I, I help with this thing. Let me have a look at them. People go, oh, what do you do? And then that's that social proof that like, even when they're not on the clock getting paid for it, they're still passionate about what they do. Um, I, and I always think that's a really interesting thing because like with, with social media, you're right. Why would you uh, get someone or pay someone to do social media if it's not something they're normally passionate about mm. because then when they come and they're, they're not passionate about something, well, then the, the ideas are going to dry up and they're not going to think, you know, um, outside the box and come up with these new ideas and spend time doing it. You're just going to get another bland, yeah. like 
I'm doing social media because yeah. it's time locked into my calendar and I Absolutely. have to do it. Yeah. Like inspirational quote yeah. sort of stuff. Yeah. And and that's with a lot of roles and that's with a lot of these things that we're talking about that uh, makes practitioners valuable um, and adds value to what they do is they're passionate about those things that they're mm. doing. Mm. They're passionate about creating more impact and building their own brand. <laughs> and <laughs> oh, it's so loud. Why is this young Henry so loud? Apologies so loud. to everyone's ears. <laughs> um, but like, it's so much easier to do more of something if you're passionate about it and you care about it and you're not awkward about it. Exactly. Exactly. I think... People just like people that will naturally pull out their phone and just start talking into it. Like yeah. they're the ones that are going to do social media really well. Yeah. Um, and and like that doesn't mean you have to do social media, right? I'm definitely not saying no, that. God like, no. but if that's something, yeah. But that is valuable. To do that well is valuable. Mm. To do it poorly is not valuable. Mm. So choose to do the things that are you're good at mm. naturally. Mm. Um, to, to do any of these things that we're talking about. Uh, to do them well is valuable. Mm. Um, and a lot of them are learnt skills as well, to be fair. Mm. You can learn to talk to people. You can learn to to talk into a microphone better. Uh, you can learn to create good social media content with time and, and engagement and a lot mm. of effort. Mm. Uh, but that's a lot easier to do and requires a lot less energy if you enjoy doing it. Mm. 100%. So... You know, there's lots of options here of ways that you can make yourself valuable. Just pick the ones that you think you're going to be able to be passionate about and do well. And you, by no means do you have to do, have to do all of these things to increase your value. But the, the better you are at all of them, well, then it's a, a much easier uh, game to play. Mm. Much easier bargaining chip as well. So that's, yeah. Uh, do you have any other things? Uh, the non, I mean, I, the only other one I can think of is uh, building your, going out of your way to to build your business's reputation and do community outreach mm. and that sort of thing. Uh, that is not necessarily in your own best interest, but for the business's best interest uh, and building the business's reputation separate or alongside yours because if that creates more engagement and awareness and therefore uh, people and revenue for other people as well, that looks great on you. That looks incredible. Um, it, it look, hmm. it does. Um, doesn't mean everybody has to do it. No, right? of course not. But if we're sitting at and it's annual review time or progression mm. session time and it's like can you talk me through some of the you know external things that you've done uh over the past year and and a person can rattle off mm. a few it's like yep i went over here and i did this thing and then mm. i went over there and and i met these people and that led to x y and z mm. like it's it's uh you can see value in that it's very easy to see value yes. in that yes some of the other things, I guess it can be harder to see value, but this is a very easy thing to see value in. Mm. Very, very easy. Yeah. Yeah. Good to know. Anyway, we'll move on. So based off these things, 
and talking about the percentage breakdown of how much things cost and where the $100 of an appointment goes to and therefore you know, how much does a practitioner take home. This kind of opens up an interesting question and it's more of an ethical question and I don't think there is a right answer to it. It's, but the question is, are we charging enough as allied healthcare practitioners? Should we charge more so that everybody makes more money and these costs are more easily paid off? Or should we charge less and therefore more people can come in? Uh, and maybe that's a faster way of generating revenue. And or if we if we charge more, how much more do we charge? Like if that $100 turned into $300, would that just solve problems? <laughs> Andrew, if you, if you had a... Because this is very individual. If you had a really sore shoulder and it was stopping you from doing everything, if it was t- stopping Things. you from typing on your computer... Oh which is the most important thing so important you do these days <laughs> <laughs> that's my value that's it's typing on a computer yeah, yeah. Thank very you. important thank you the the value per key type <laughs> very high it's very very high cuz it transfers whatever's in your brain into written text. into written text <laughs> therefore very valuable typing you have I but you so, couldn't do it i feel so valuable so you couldn't do your job Mm. And there was no way that you could do it any other way. Mm. You couldn't give your value because of this fuck shoulder you had. Mm. And there was a person, they were an allied health practitioner of some sort, and they were like, I can fix your shoulder for you for $500 a session, and it will take five sessions. Would you do it? Who told me I should go and see them? Oh, that's a good question. Follow-up question. I wasn't prepared for that. Was it you? Um, oh. Because if it was you, yeah. I would say, yeah. Okay. Oh. <laughs> wow. What if it was uh, your wife? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yes, absolutely. 100%. What if it was uh, your son who's, you know, in year two? <laughs> Probably not. Right. Probably not. So what matters then? The the trust that I have in the person that's referring me to this other professional. Mm, okay. All right. So if if you can sit there as somebody who I trust and who has got a, a general good opinion about what works and what doesn't in shoulder world, yeah. Um, I would trust that, or or your your. Referral to this person would be an extension of the trust that I have in you. And so, like, it would be much easier for me to say yes to that mm. rather than the uncertainty that comes with just getting on Google or mm. something else mm. and typing in, like, shoulder physio near me mm. and hoping that the the one that comes up at the top not the ads but the mm. one that comes up like organically number one mm. is the best mm. like i am walking into that appointment with less certainty because mm. i don't know that person mm. as opposed to someone that you know and trust mm. that i can now go and like okay well i feel 
more certain about whether that will work. Yes. Okay. So based on your certainty of outcome, you would pay more for the service. Based on the trust that I have in the person that's referred me, I would pay more. Okay. But that trust in the person that has referred you comes down to their certainty that they will help you. Mm. So the certainty that this service will help you or give you what you need determines the amount that you would pay. To a degree, I think I think so. Yep. Um, you just you spat out a number before, um, and I think there's probably context behind. You know, has this shoulder thing been bugging me for one week or mm. one month or mm. six months? Um, to what extent is it is it affecting my typing? Mm. Um, if it's a mild, like mm. maybe I can do without it, but mm. if it's like a excruciating pain with mm. every tap of the keyboard, mm. that's probably worth something. If it's stopping me from going to the gym or if it's stopping me from doing sports mm. or the things that I enjoy doing, mm. um, the degree to which that affects those things is probably going to lead to whether or not I, I decide to go and do that. Mm. Because if it is, if it's stopping me from walking my stupid fucking dog or <laughs> going to the gym or I value those things. And those things are important yes. not only for my physical, but my mental health. Yes. And if you say that by going and paying two and a half grand to mm. this other person down the road that they will fix it, it's mm. like, well, maybe that's worth it. Mm. Okay. So it depends on quite a lot of factors then. I guess we're getting to a point where it's like, how much does the person paying value their own health? And so... Yes, you could charge more, but you need to then pass a much higher... You need to be able to get people over a much higher barrier of how much their health is worth to them. So you need to have a very, very good reputation from your own clients and your own network then in order to charge that. For people to actually want to go and do it. I I think so. Hmm. Because if 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 you sort of play that in reverse and was like a brand new practitioner who moves into an area who nobody knows and has got no connections and prices themselves like hmm. astronomically high. Hmm it's going to be very hard probably initially for them to build up mm. because the barrier to mm. them actually successfully seeing clients, getting results and those people then going and telling other people, it's going to take a lot more effort mm. because if there is no trust and all the, all the things that you have to go on are what you see on their website and social media and whatever. Mm. You know, if you see one person charge themselves out at a thousand dollars an hour mm. and one person charge them out at a hundred dollars an hour, mm. without the benefit of uh, imparted trust from one person to another, it's going to be pretty difficult yeah. to justify that expense. Mm. You might get some people that are curious, mm. but that's probably not the majority. Mm. And the people who are curious may not follow through after that at first, first initial charge and they go, oh, yeah, I was curious, but 
But I don't feel fixed. Yeah. Or I'm not completely confident that with this many more investments, uh, I will be. Mm. Or oh, being fixed isn't actually worth that much to me. Yeah. Mm. Makes it difficult. Because that there's definitely services out there. I'm not talking healthcare because, um, you know, health isn't that important to me <laughs> personally as a healthcare practitioner. No, um, that's not true. I just know I can get a lot of healthcare for free. <laughs> <laughs> Working in a multidisciplinary clinic and being in a family of chiros. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's wonderful. Um, so healthcare mean, you know, means nothing to me. <laughs> but <laughs> let's t- I'll talk about something that is uh, not healthcare. Say I was to go and buy a computer of some sort. Nope, I was going to go get a dinner of some sort. And if I have the best dinner of my fucking life, I will tap away whatever money they ask for. And the cost, I'm not going to go, ooh, that wasn't worth that much. But if I'd already had the experience of like, wow, that was great. That was awesome. I'm going to tell everyone about this, about how good that meal just was then. Then like my my level of okayness with whatever they asked me to pay at the end of that service is way higher, mm. way, way, way higher. So that probably matters as well here. That mm. if you come out of this first consult with this person and the client now has you know, the utmost confidence that, wow, I am in the right place. I have utmost confidence that this person is going to solve all of my problems and they have answered all of my questions and... They've they've well exceeded my expectations of what I was going to get today. Um, yeah, take my money. Mm. Go for it. You deserve it. Yeah. You know, pe- people will place that value on it. But you then have to give that value. Mm. Right. So yes, you could. We could charge a very 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 high amount, and you would get people to come in and be curious and go, oh, let's see what happens. Um, but will they come back? And will they still recommend you after that first one or two sessions? Well, that's where it then comes down to you. You have to you have, the you have to follow through. Yeah, you have to follow through. And I think for a lot of people, that's where they have to be honest with themselves about like, okay, or well, how valuable is what I did with this person? Hmm. Let, let me pose let me pose something else to you. Um, some people believe that healthcare should be free Hmm. that uh you shouldn't have to pay a gap Mm -hmm. on on whatever service ep Mm -hmm. uh because by doing that you are prohibiting some people from accessing that service because for some people although we've talked a lot about money today for some people there is a a financial concern that is going on in their life and maybe they just cannot afford it Mm. because they need to Mm. eat. Mm. How do we have this values conversation or value conversation in, in that context, right? Um, How do we, how do we kind of mesh together the fact that, you know, if we're going to bulk bill Mm. and know that like, there, there is a certain reality when it comes to mm. revenue as it, as it flows through a, mm. through a clinic. Like, mm. how do we kind of get these two things? Well, the, the question comes down to who's providing the service. 
And it does that person have their own financial needs? Uh, because if they don't have their own financial needs and they can provide the service, then yeah, it can be bulk build. It could be free. Um, can they do it without utilities and support and equipment and that kind of stuff? Then yes, absolutely. Uh, then healthcare uh, can be free and that would be incredible. And in some places, there, like, there are people who can provide that service because there is support from whether it's non-for-profit organizations or charities or the public sector. And that's a wonderful thing. If that was universal across a country, then who does the burden go to? So say we did that here uh, and we bulk build um, or we were free. No, yeah, or we just had the Medicare rebate for all of our services. Then uh, I would have to be okay with uh, not having anywhere near the gym space we have, anywhere near the equipment I have, uh, probably paying for my own uniform uh, and also not living where I live currently either because I would not be able to earn the money to do that. And I would also have to be doing all of my own uh, marketing, uh, administration. Uh, oh, I, oh, I don't <laughs> There's so many things that I don't even know that I'm not doing. <laughs> mm. And I'm so glad I don't know mm. what they are. Uh, uh, another one to add to that list mm. would would potentially be, you know, we, we choose to run our yeah. consults mm. um, as, as our initials. But if we're choosing to bulk bill, maybe... The, the choice that the runs alongside minutes. that is yeah. we're doing 20-minute yeah. appointments with people. And then do I feel like I can even help that person enough in 20 minutes face-to-face? -face? Or would I finish that face-to-face 20-minute -face consult and go, I'll send you all this stuff and I'll, and I'll put together this thing so that I can provide the rest of the value that I wanted to give them in a half an hour, 45-minute consult? that I couldn't because I tried to squeeze in 20 minutes so that they didn't have to pay. Um, and therefore, I end up doing the hour consult but only being face-to-face -face with the person for 20 minutes. Mm. So then, do I actually end up being able to see more people so that I can still bring in the same amount of revenue and then I do an extra five hours of programming and you know extra follow-ups and education afterwards per day and I'm working 70 hours a week to uh, bring in the same amount of revenue just so the, the clients don't have to pay. It's like, oh, I, I, it's, it's hard to have both parties win here. Mm. And, and that's why it's, it's such a difficult conversation. Um, well, is it difficult? I don't know. I, I don't find that difficult anymore because like I've, I've, just kind of run out of emotion when it comes to <laughs> talking about money <laughs> with people. Yeah, I, I've given up caring too much about it. Um, but when the prices go up, you know, when when we increase pricing, and uh, team members go, "Oh, 
we're charging a lot for this service. And I go, yeah, well, did you get a pay rise this year? And it's like, yeah, right. so did I. Mm. Good. Um, did electricity rates go up? Yeah, yeah. Did we ask for these blaze pods? These, <laughs> you know, these cool... Fucking blaze these, pods, These man. cool lights that we I touch. I can't believe how much that shit costs. Yeah, they're expensive, but they're fucking awesome. Everybody <laughs> should get some. Blaze pods, sponsor podcast, please. They're the coolest lights in the world. Oh, so good. They're so much fun. Um, yeah, you know, <laughs> sure. <laughs> Everything gets more expensive. It's like, yeah. oh, do we have... You know, another receptionist, someone to answer the phones and take your payments for you. It's mm. like, yes, we do now. Mm. It's like, oh, who trained them? Oh, someone else that gets paid. It's like, yeah, yeah, cool, great. Well, we could turn all that stuff away and prices can stay the same. Um, or you can continue to enjoy your job. <laughs> <laughs> and, and part of that might be dealing with telling clients that the prices are going up every so often. Every so often. Yeah, that's yeah. how it goes. Yeah, most businesses should have a, have a price review plan or strategy to, mm. to look at, you know, what are we, are we, are we pricing ourselves appropriately for, mm. for the service that we're offering? Uh, we do that every six months. Mm. We, we review it. Um, but look, it's, it's an important thing to do. And, and like you said, it, it's, it's an important thing for like people to understand that, mm. If you come and ask for a pay rise, like you absolutely should, mm. but you need to see it in there is there is a bigger context mm. from which that decision gets made, mm. and the most businesses like it's not just a random amount that we choose to charge clients. Mm. Like it's it's taken all of the things that we've talked about mm. today into consideration mm. and sort of going well, this is where we believe we mm. are pricing ourselves. Mm. Therefore. Therefore, this is where we think the remuneration structures mm. can kind of sit. Mm. And I'll tell you one thing that hasn't gone up mm. in the past four years, and that's the NDIS price guide. Mm. So if you're working within the NDIS space, the NDIS rate has stayed the same. Mm. So all of these cost of living expenses, your rent, your electricity, your professional development, your car, mm. the businesses admin the business's practitioner expenses mm. the business's rent all that shit's gone up mm. but the price guide has stayed the same mm. so there's only one place that that can kind of come from mm. and that's through the profitability of the clinic mm. and if you're working for a clinic that's not profitable like mm. you're probably not going to have a job for very much yeah. longer because that's not a great place to be yeah so the the conversation then goes to well what can i do to help increase my value to the business mm. like what can i do to help me mm. give the the owner like more mm. to help grow the business mm. in in the direction that you know mm. we we wanted to grow um businesses should price themselves like i i don't think we should bog bill mm. i'm i personally believe that all of the university and all of the professional development has meant that we should charge appropriately mm. I'll, I'll give a more specific example where we're getting some removalists to come and pick up some desks mm. and take them five kilometers up the road <laughs> 230 dollars an hour for removalists to pick up some desks and take drive them up the road and drive a truck right <laughs> now that's valuable because fucked if i'm gonna do that <laughs> and so when they said that i'm like fucking jesus really 
And then I looked around. And it's like, actually, yeah, like that's what removalists charge. And I'm like, shit. But then the, the time mm. and effort mm. that I would have to to do to move these fucking desks mm. five kilometers up the road, I'm like, mm. you know what? Fucking do it. Yeah, get them out of my sight. Do it. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I I just don't want to do that. Yeah. So value is very much in like yeah, what's in for me. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. 100%. Oh jeez, there you go. Removalist. Removalist. There you go. Should have been removalist. <laughs> All right, let's finish these beers mm. and, and we'll wrap up <gasps> under an hour. Go Stop it. us. Well Stop done. It. We're incredible. How about that? <laughs> so valuable. How concise are we? <laughs> so valuable. Um, anything else to add? Um, yes, I do have something else to add. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a Simon Sinek quote. Because <laughs> we've got to finish this. We'll end on this. We've got to finish this well. Quick. Under an hour. I'll draw it out. So it goes over now. You've got 10 seconds. To finish off, kick on. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to butcher this, but if, if you want to, if you want to have a conversation about your pay, you should, anybody should, right? You absolutely should. Uh, you should get paid what you feel like you are worth to the business. I hope from the conversation we've had today, like, what you've seen is the lens that business owners look through what value looks like. And so if, if you come to a remuneration conversation or annual review or something like that and say, I want this or I'm going to go and find another job, it puts, it puts people in a corner and that's not a great place to make a decision. Whereas, and this is the Simon Sinek quote that I'm going to butcher, it's like, what do I need to show you over the next two to three years so that I can earn X? Mm. And if you have that conversation, then all of these different components of value can kind of be brought together about what do you do really well and therefore how can we translate that into a position description or a weekly a weekly um program for you that's not just like i need this today or i'm out it's Mm. like well this is what i'm going to show you over time Mm. nice let's finish there lovely well wrapped up thanks simon see you next time goodbye (laughs)